This is Real Estate Rookie episode 181. Would say, I think it's kind of cliche, but um, network, 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 network. Everybody tell everyone what you're doing and what you want to do. Whether that's, hey, I want to buy an off-market property or, hey, I've, I've got a quadplex and I, I want to fix it up. Somebody's going to be able to help you in that. And, you know, you'll be able to to create relationships in the long run. Go to investor meetups, go to, um, you know, go to the bigger pocket forums, ask the questions and just tell everyone. My name is Ashley Kerr and I am here with my co-host, Tony Robinson. And welcome to the Real Estate Rookie Podcast, where every week, twice a week, we give you the inspiration, information and amazing stories you need to hear to get started in your real estate investing journey. Ashley Kerr, my wonderful co-host from the terrible state of New York. What is What is going on? <laughs> well, just a, a couple weeks ago, we finished the Real Estate Rookie Boot Camp Weekend in Denver, Colorado, where Tony and I had um, about 300 rookie investors come to the Gaylord Rockies. I just want to thank everybody who came to the conference, and I hope you learned a lot and were able to network and meet some people that um, will become lifelong friends and colleagues or business partners in the future. Yeah. And Ash, I love how you uh, glossed over me saying terrible state of New York. <laughs> so I love to give Ashley a hard time because the, the weather in New York is always so terrible compared to where I'm at in California. It's not only the weather. Going. I mean, there's the tenant landlord laws. There's the property <laughs> yeah. taxes. The long closing time. Yeah. Now that I think about it, yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> there was just so many things he could have been referencing. So. <laughs> like, I don't even want to go there. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, no, we, uh, where Tony lives in California, it is going to uh, be a, a, an opportunity for people to go visit Tony in California for the Bigger Pockets conference, um, tickets are going on sale now. If you want to get a jump start, uh, go to biggerpockets.com forward slash events and you can check out the BPCon event that is happening in October in sunny, beautiful San Diego. Or how does uh, Anchorman say it? San Diego. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, San Diego is a great place. I was actually just there a couple weeks ago for my fitness competition and I never get enough of San Diego. So you guys are going to have an amazing time uh, if you choose uh, to come down to San Diego and hang out with us. Um, another thing that Ash and I want to start doing is just highlighting more people from the rookie community. We've got a, a really growing and um, excited and just really in, highly engaged community. So whether you're you're getting active in the Bigger Pockets forums or our Real Estate Rookie Facebook group, which has almost 50,000 members in there, um, there's just a lot of people in the community that are doing some really amazing things. And what I want to highlight today is someone who recently left a review for the Rookie Podcast um, because it was just a really cool story to hear. Um, this this person's username is Katie Sherry. And Katie said, in June of 2021, I found Bigger Pockets, and shortly after, I found the Rookie Podcast. It was absolutely life changing. Now, just ten months later, my husband and I have two properties under. Or we have two properties and are under contract for a third. We also have interest from other lenders on a fourth. And she says, "Wow, it feels like once you get started and learn the steps from this podcast, you can't slow down in a really good way." Tony and Ashley's advice works. They were super motivating about taking action. So even if you're just a little bit intrigued about real estate investing, you've come to the right place. Katie Sherry, that is amazing. You did more in 10 months than most people do in a lifetime. So kudos to you for, for making some amazing progress. 
Yeah, that is so great. And I love when you guys tell us about your success stories from listening to our awesome guests that, you know, come on here and take the time to share their experiences and to give advice. So um, please uh, keep them coming in because we we love to hear about them and read them. And I think, Tony, you're going to keep highlighting these stories, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So if you guys haven't yet, please leave an honest rating and review for the Rookie Podcast on whatever platform you're listening to. And we want to start taking some of those reviews and sprinkling them into the show. So if you want a chance to get highlighted, um, be sure to leave an honest rating and review and you might get spotlighted. Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller-financed 2.99% interest rate where the average cash flow is over $900 per month. They also have options where you can put as low as 5% down on multiple investment properties with no PMI. Rent to Retirement is the nation's leading turnkey investment company that understands what it takes to be successful in today's dynamic real estate market. Their reputation speaks for itself with more five-star reviews than any other company on the Bigger Pockets website. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com. Or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. Remember when you had to pay to get a lead's phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do-not-call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. We know, and you all know, why it's super important that good tenant screening is absolutely critical to your management process. Luckily, RentReady, the comprehensive property management software, has a new feature that makes tenant screening a complete breeze. In addition to TransUnion certified tenant screening, RentReady now offers... Proof of income verification. So RentReady's automatic tenant proof of income verification ensures an in-depth check of each applicant's financial stability and earnings. With Plaid certified tenant income and asset reports, you can see a potential tenant's income summary and total earnings by month. It's time to say goodbye to that whole gut check tenant screening and feel confident renting out your property with Rent Ready. Now, Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. If you're not a pro, they're offering the six-month plan for only $1. Visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP Like Bigger Pockets Investor for six months of rent ready for only $1. 
Well, today's guest, uh, we have Caleb on, and we feel terrible because this is like our third time trying to record with him, and we finally made it happen. So Caleb is going to talk about how he actually turned his uh, primary residence into a short-term rental while he um, is in the military, and he actually managed his short-term rental from Africa, Afghanistan, and Iraq, and he kind of goes into, you know, what he did, what he should have done different, and what he's doing now. So he's built out a portfolio with a partner and himself on uh, long-term and short-term rentals. And and he also talks about how he used a partnership to kind of scale and grow his business. But but I really want you guys to pay attention for the part towards the end where he talks about some of the difficult conversations he had to have with his partner and how he kind of went, went about having those conversations and what the end result was, because I think there's a big lesson there for all the rookies as well. Caleb, welcome to the Real Estate Rookie Podcast, brother. We're super Super excited to have you. So why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and how you got started in the world of real estate investing? Yeah. So uh, Caleb Drake, I'm an active duty military officer. I've been in about 14 years. I've got uh, nine doors and we've got a current flip going on as well. But uh, I started out my real estate journey by, uh, I was deployed about six months of the year and I was, I had a long-term roommate, but then when she moved out, my house was just sitting vacant. So I didn't know anything about house hacking, any of that sort, but I just kind of, uh, I was like, well, what can I do to make money? And so I started listing my house on Airbnb. Mm. I knew nothing about doing it, anything. And I was like, I just kind of, luckily it worked out. But I, um, I, I listed on Airbnb, I deployed to Africa. So I had an awesome cleaning lady, a decent team kind of put together that I just kind of haphazardly put together and got lucky. But I had, I had great results with that, so I did that for two deployments, and then, um, and then I decided that one of, my, one of my best friends was like, hey man, this real estate thing you're doing is awesome. Let's, uh, let's talk about you know, doing a partnership. And he, had, he didn't even own a house himself at that point. He was renting. And so um, we kind of started looking around. He's out of state. And so I was like, all right, so let's do it in my market because I'm in Pensacola, Florida. I'm like, I'm outside of Pensacola. Technically, we're in... Uh, Navarre, Florida, which is 30 minutes to the east of there, but it's a great short-term rental area, tons of military, tons of vacation spots. We're like four miles from the beach um, where our house is. So I was like, yeah, man. So I started looking around with an agent. I had a friend that was a real estate agent and uh, they owned a bunch of long-term rentals. And so I was kind of using her as, uh, you know, as like my, my value add to my team. Right. And, uh, and so Kelsey started showing us some houses. We found one that we liked, put an offer in, got the offer accepted. Looking back on it, we probably went way too high on the offer because it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't the 2021 market, right? But yeah. um, I didn't I didn't really know because I didn't even know bigger pockets existed at that time. I was just doing everything, like you know, I uh, doing everything just by the seat of my pants. And yeah. it all worked out luckily because, you know, I, I understood numbers. I understood that, you know, you have to have a positive cash flow, but I didn't, I didn't understand the actual like mechanics you know, of making yeah. it happen. Right. The nooks and the crannies. And, and, and Caleb, I think that's, what's so cool about real estate investing is that even if you don't have 
all of the information. As long as you're kind of taking smart action, you can typically end up in a pretty good spot. But I mean, first, Caleb, I, I want to thank you for your service, brother. You said 14 years uh, in the military. That is that is no uh, small feat, brother. So we, we appreciate your service there. And then what's also just as maybe extraordinary is the fact that you said that you were managing your short-term rental from Africa, Afghanistan, and Iraq. Did I hear that the right way? Yes, sir. Yeah. I, uh, okay. I actually, we we, we got to break that down, Caleb, because I think most new investors, they're, they're afraid to invest an hour away from their house or two hours away from their house. And you were however many thousands of miles on the other side of the continent. So I guess first, Caleb, if you can kind of walk us through, what was that light bulb that went off to make you say, okay, maybe renting it out on Airbnb is a good idea. And then once you made that decision, how did you go about putting that team in place to make sure that you could manage it while you were deployed? Uh, so I had, like, I, I've always kind of wanted to, to have renters. Like I've, I've split houses with my friends when I was renting a house when, um, I was in, you know, training and stuff like that, just to, to lessen the burden of the mortgage less or lessen the burden of the rent and kind of to be able to save more and invest more. But I, um, I just saw my house was sitting there and Airbnb was still kind of a newer thing. It was two, this was like 2017, 2018. And, um, so I just, I started asking some of my friends and somebody said, Hey, I've, I've got a neighbor that rents her house next door to, to us. And so she kind of put me in touch with, excuse me, with that lady. And, and then we, uh, we connected and then she brought, actually, she brought her cleaning over lady over to me. And that cleaning lady was, uh, she's amazing to this day. I, I still use her and I don't think I would have been able to self-manage without having, um, without having her in on my team because she did a lot of the stuff that I didn't think that I, I didn't think about before I left. Right. Like, Oh man, I need, you know, I'm out of toiletries that three months of toiletries actually only lasted a month. And, you know, so she would, Hey Caleb, we're out, you know? And so she would pick it up. I would pay her for her time. I would pay her back for the supplies and she kind of helped me manage it there. But, um, I was doing all the check-ins. I was doing any repairs. I had to get a, somebody over to fix the hot water heater. I was doing all of that from, from overseas and, um, lack of sleep for sure. But it, once you get a system in place and I wasn't using any of the automated systems that they have today, it was, and I didn't even have like standard check-in, like copy and paste every time I was typing it up. And it was, it was like, a, it was a time suck, but, but it was so cool because I got to meet people and like, this was my house it was the first house I ever owned. And I was so proud of it. I had done a lot of work to it. And, you know, people would say, man, we love this place. You know, like, this is like awesome. And all I did was when I moved, like I just moved all of my personal stuff into my master bedroom closet and put a deadbolt on it. That was the extent of me preparing to do this. And, you know, I mean, somebody could have easily broken into there. They could have done any of that, but I, I kind of vetted my guests very, you know, very well. And, um, I, I kind of targeted who I wanted to rent the place and I kept my pricing around that point. And, I don't think I knew what I was doing exactly by doing that, but now I kind of understand like, you know, being able to put your, um, like target audience, you know, being able to, to, you're, you're a short term guy. Like if you want to rent to professionals, then you, you market your house to, you know, professionals for midterm rentals. If you want to market to families, you know, you have the crib that's set up for, for family members and all of that. And so, um, I wanted to rent to families that couldn't afford to live on the beach and, or to, to stay on the beach. And that was my target audience. So, you know, we put an extra, um, bed in one of the rooms and, and was able to rent to like families of 
you know, six to eight people in that house. And it was a three, two. That's awesome, Caleb. I mean, the, the, the team piece, I think is one of the most critical components of being successful as a short-term rental operator. Um, just like you, like, you know, when we've got our first short-term rental, it was our cleaner that taught us a lot about what it means to really be able to be a, a good operator. And, you know, and she was like, Hey, you need to buy more than one set of sheets for your beds. You know, we're like, okay, yeah, I guess that makes sense. You know? So having a good cleaner is definitely a, a critical component, I think, to a new short-term rental operator finding success. And then at a bigger scale, having the right team in place in general is critically important if you want to be able to to manage your properties remotely. Um, and for you know uh, us as short-term rental operators, it's typically the cleaner. So I just want to go back to the timeline a little bit, Caleb. Um, so you, you start with the, the Airbnb property. You're kind of renting that out while you're doing these deployments. Those deployments last for about four years. So, so during the majority of that time, you're doing the Airbnb. How long after those deployments are over do you actually kick off this partnership with uh, with a friend of yours? Uh, it was actually in the middle of it. So um, I oh, did- wow. Yeah, I did two deployments, uh, renting out my house, and then I uh, came back from one, and Josh actually came down. That's my partner, and uh, he was like, "Man, this is awesome! Like, you know, let's let's do this." And so, so we talked about it, um, you know, over over dinner, and kind of, and then like it was literally he had texted me prior to coming down, and was like, "Dude, I, like I want to get into real estate," and I was like, "I want to get into more real estate," and um, and so we just we decided, "Hey, man, like I trust you, you trust me." Looking back on it, we didn't have any kind of written agreements. No, we didn't. We didn't do anything of the sorts like you. You should. Um, but you know, we went to college together. We'd known each other for you know almost eight years at this point, and it was it was something that worked out in the long run. But I definitely would recommend um, going going forward for you know rookie investors that are listening to this to to get those those documents in place and those understandings because there were a lot of things that we just kind of winged, and luckily we are you know, good enough friends that it never put like attention, you know, on our, on our friendship or anything. But there were times where it was like, you know, who, who's going to do what and, and, you know, how do we lay that out? And so, uh, but yeah, going back to that. So we, we decided to buy and then I deployed three more times, four more times after that. And we still managed um, remotely. So Josh was actually, at one point, Josh was in England going to college. He's a military officer and he got accepted to a uh, to Cambridge University. So he was going to college in England and I was in at that point Afghanistan again and we were still managing remotely. Um, we would just kind of split the uh split the check-ins, whoever could answer the, you know, I've got him as a co-host, so whoever could answer the questions when they came up, he was six hours I think ahead. I was like 13 and a half. Afghanistan's weird, they go on like the half hour. So I was like 13 and a half hours ahead or something of that sort. And uh it was it was tough, but like there was always somebody available. Whether it was you know I was working nights, I could when I wasn't flying, I could you know answer. And if he knew, we kind of communicated like, hey man, I'm gonna be flying a couple of missions this week that are pretty long, so you've got the uh, you've got the check ins. And so at that point, we had started to actually like use the software to to check in guests and do like the automated check ins and uh, automated checkups. Essentially, like every couple of days, we'll say, hey, is everything good? And and um, and that worked out because then all we have to do is send the the door code that the that the cleaning lady sets, and so she'll set a she'll set the door code. Caleb, can you walk us through that software and how that works? I mean, I think okay, getting the door code automatically sent to the person. I mean, Tony obviously knows this, but 
for me, who was like you in the very beginning, who just uses the Airbnb app that my cleaner communicates on, I have no systems or processes in place. So tell me more, what softwares are you using and what kind of features do they have that has made it so much easier for you to manage these from anywhere? Yeah. So we used IGMS and uh, we did a lot. It takes a lot of, you know, to set it up. Once you get it setting up and you get it running correctly, it's, it's kind of automatic. So uh, two hours before our check or t- the day, the morning of our check-in at like 8 a.m., uh, we allow check-ins at 3 p.m. So at 8 a.m., they get a an automated, hey, this is, you know, the directions to the house. This is, you know, the check-in information. This is the house rules. Here's the, you know, the location of, of the written house rules and, and this and that. And so they get that in the morning and then, and then in the bottom, it says, we will send you the check-in code. Um, once the cleaning lady cleans the house and so she'll check she'll set the the manual code on the door we kind of got it down to that i want to end up going with an automatic um like a, a bluetooth or an internet enabled lock on that on that airbnb but i so if you've got any recommendations on those tony i'll take them out yeah i was i was gonna say i do right so the the one that we use is called the slage on code um and it's a wi-fi deadbolt because there are some that are like Bluetooth, but then you have to buy like a an adapter or this other like, you know, dongle to make it work. But the Slage Oncode is the one that works directly with your Wi-Fi. The problem is I've been talking about it so much that it's literally sold out everywhere right now. So we've had a really hard time finding one. But if you can find one, well, it's the Slage Oncode. I have one on my front door in my actual house. And I've been looking all over. <laughs> yeah, dude, it's, it's like going like crazy <laughs> in the black market right now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I had texted Tony's wife, Sarah, about this as to what they use. And she had told me, I think maybe two months ago. And so finally, I saw, I think it was like Lowe's had like two of them in stock. So I told my business partner, I'm like, e- order these because he gets the military discount. So mm-hmm. <laughs> it's 10% off. I'm like, go ahead and order them. So like a week later, I was like, when do you think those locks are coming in? He's like, oh, I think I forgot to order them. He's like, I'll do it right now. I'm like, dude, they're gone. There's no way they're still there. And I'm like, yeah. these. so he's like cited, checking everywhere every day because he feels so bad that, yeah. Selling like yeah. hotcakes. So, if yeah, anyone they're... has them, I'll pay yeah. you. <laughs> right, same. <laughs> same. same. I'll pay you more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so we, we, um, we have her set the code on the lock and then, and then we'll send that out closer to the check-in time. And we allow early check-ins. So if you know if she's done at noon, normally she's done around one o'clock, and we our normal check-in is three. So we we'll send it out as soon as that's over and say, hey, you know, you're welcome to check in. Here's your check-in code. And so that was kind of the process. Um, it got to the point where sometimes Josh would send it, I would send it, and so we kind of had to just come up with a plan, right? Like who's going to do the check-ins, who's going to do um, everything else. And so as the business grew, um, we own long-term rentals now too, um, within our LLCs. And once that business started to grow, we had to start kind of delineating those partnership responsibilities and kind of going forward with that. And so Josh handles most of the short-term rental check-ins and stuff. I handle anything that actually needs to be done locally since it's right down the road. But for the most part, um, he kind of handles all of that. But, you know, last week, for example, he was out of town, um, He's active duty military as well. And he was out in uh, Las Vegas for some training and they were out where they didn't have any cell phones or anything. And so he said, Hey man, you're going to have to handle the uh, check-ins. And so I went back to my old ways of checking people in and 
one day somebody said, Hey, do you have a code? And I was like, Oh no, because I, you know, I totally forgot because I was just used to being able to coast with, with the partnership with him being able to, you know, handle everything there. But, um, yeah, so we started kind of doing that and then we, we wanted to grow the business, um, over the last few years. And so we went into long-term rentals in our old college town. And so we started kind of buying around the college where we knew that, you know, um, people would need to rent. And our original plan was to, to offer those rentals to some of the Air Force cadets and the Army cadets that were going through college to, uh, to be able to give them somewhere, you know, decent to, to stay. Cause, cause, uh, my hometown's Indiana State University, Terre Haute, Indiana. And there's a lot of, you know, for lack of better words, a lot of slumlords that don't take care of their properties. And so we wanted to kind of, to buy some properties that we could, you know, fix up, you know, burr essentially. We actually did a few burrs there and, um, and we wanted to, to give somebody like a decent place to live. And kind of have a little bit of pride in the rentals in that area. So uh, we've got we bought a quadplex, and I kind of took over the charge on that just because uh, I didn't. I don't think I mentioned it, but on top of being active duty military, I'm a full time real estate agent as well. Busy man, huh? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, got, you got things going all over the place, man. Well, Caleb, before before we go too deep onto the long term side, I, I just want to go back to to the partnership piece because I think that's important to to highlight. Um, you said that as the business grew, you had to kind of recalibrate um, how the division of responsibilities was being handled. And it's funny, man, because the same thing happened in our business as well. So for Alpha Geek Capital, um, you know, when when we first started, my wife was just supposed to be the person that was like communicating with the guests, like that's all she was supposed to do. Um, and as a business grew, she took on like this bigger kind of responsibility, but she wasn't even technically like a partner in the business. It was just me and Omid, my, our, my other partner. Right. So we had to kind of uh, like stop and pause and say, Hey, the way we were doing things when we first started is dramatically different from how we're doing things today. And the business ownership and percentages should kind of reflect the the level of work that's going in and the value that's being provided per person today. So, I mean, did you guys have a similar conversation? Was it imbalanced for you to begin with, or I guess just kind of walks through that, that, uh, that dynamic. Yeah, it definitely was um, with me being local to the area and then kind of handling most of the, uh, the procedures. Um, what it, what it came down to was, Josh is very career oriented with the military. Like he wants to to move up. He wants to be a commander. I'm very, I guess, anti career oriented, where I want to build my my uh, you know retirement account, like build my rental portfolio to the point where I don't have to to work again, right? And I don't want to do any more than 20 years in the military. At 20 years, I don't even know if I want to work after that. Um, mm-hmm. So. That's kind of, that was kind of what happened was I was taking charge. We're both very type A people, but I knew real estate, um, kind of more. And I kind of dug into real estate more than Josh did. And, and actually, uh, I think it was the rookie podcast when you talked about your partnerships and how you guys had to restructure was actually kind of the catalyst where I sent that to him. And I was like, Hey man, like we've kind of really grown faster than what we planned. You know, at first it was just, Hey, we're going to buy a short term rental. And, you know, and, and just to have some extra income. And then it was neither of us needed any of that money. So it was like, dude, why don't we just keep growing the business? And so mm-hmm. we took the money that we were making and we have really strong W-2s. Um, and so we're like, you know, we both have six figure W-2s and we're like, why don't we just continue to pump money into this business to hopefully make it a six figure business in the in the long run? But me being the real estate agent and the kind of the real estate like 
junkie. I, I was, well, yeah, I was, yeah, yeah, it's junkie. And uh, <laughs> I, I, he kind of let me run that. Right. And, and he was, mm-hmm. he's very um, supportive in that. Like, Hey man, anything, if you think it makes sense, like just show me why it makes sense. And I'm, you know, all about it, almost like an auto approval process. But I, I, I give him the the respect to say, Hey man, we're buying a house, you know? Mm-hmm. And he's like, okay. You know, like, What's, where's it at? And I'm like, oh, it's in Terre Haute and it's, you know, a quadplex and I think we can make some good money on it. And so, and I need you to, I, our first quadplex we bought, I was actually deployed. And so we bought it sight unseen. I did most of the transaction with the agent. Um, and it was a tough, tough closing. Yeah. So, so it sounds like Caleb, you were doing like the majority of, of kind of the, the day to day grind of, of running and, and yep. growing the business, right? Ashley, I think you've got like a really good perspective on, how to kind of balance partnership. You, you mentioned it a few times, right? Where, you know, you can like charge the management. Yeah. Well, why don't you, why don't you break that down? Right? Cause I think that's a really good point to bring up. Well, first of all, you find an intern to do all the work for you and <laughs> then give them equity after they do a good job. No, but, um, yeah. So one thing to put into a partnership agreement that you can do if you're, um, you know, going to be working in the business is say, okay, so we're going to be 50, 50 partners, but, our roles and uh, responsibilities aren't going to be, you know, described by the, that equity in there. So for example, if you're doing the property management, so you're getting paid maybe an hourly rate or a percentage. Um, if somebody is going to be doing some of the maintenance on it, maybe they get paid an hourly rate, $30 an hour for any maintenance that is performed. Uh, if they're doing the snow plowing on it, anything like that. So that way, if you decide, okay, you know what, we're going to start using contractors for the maintenance. It's not like unfair. Well, wait, I'm still doing all the leasing. I'm doing the property management and, and now you have nothing to do. Mm-hmm. So it kind of keeps that you're getting your cash flow and that, that equity doesn't make a difference as to what you're doing because you're getting paid extra. So when that rent income comes in, you pay your expenses, you pay each other what you're owed, and then you go ahead and split the cash flow that's left at the end of the month. So I think that's kind of like a fair way to do it is you put dollar amounts to the roles and responsibilities that each person has. And that way, if one person needs to give up that role or responsibility, it doesn't really affect the balance of that 50-50 partnership. Yeah, yeah I think I what's actually- equally important too. So I was going to say, I think what's equally important too, Ash, is that if you miss that conversation on the front end, you guys have to have the the courage to bring that up when you realize mm-hmm. it. Because if you don't, and one of those partners is feeling kind of jaded or you know shorted, that's gonna that's gonna like create some deep seated you know, I guess anger or potentially, um, like, uh, I don't know, but people won't be happy, right. If, if they're feeling like there's some imbalance in their relationship. So for the Rickies that are listening, if you've entered into a partnership and you feel like maybe things aren't super balanced, you know, maybe you underestimated the amount of work that was going into it. Don't let that resentment build, have the courage to bring that up to your partner. Um, so Caleb, I mean, you, you guys have grown a lot, which I think is really cool. Um, and you, you start off with the short-term rentals, you moved into the long-term rentals, doing all this while, while out of state. Um, so I, I guess the, the, the piece I want to drill down to is like on the long-term side, right? When, when you guys said we want to go into Terre Haute, if I'm saying that the right way, uh, what was the driving force to say, you know, we're doing really well with short-term rentals, but we also want to add this long-term rentals to our portfolio as well. Uh, I think a lot of it was honestly the start of COVID. Um, we started to see, we saw a slight decline and we're in Florida. So, uh, it was very short with the decline, right? But we, um, 
we ended up getting a midterm renter in that was down here for uh, for military. So we kind of lucked out. We never had any vacancies, but we did see a lot of cancellations. And the way that that was kind of handled um, with for host, you know, we, we lost a lot of income there. And so luckily we were able to support our income or, you know, our mortgage and everything with the reserves that we kept. And then also with our W-2s. So, so we weren't really in any, any kind of a fear of losing the property, but what we wanted to do was kind of hedge our bets with short terms and, and just kind of build a portfolio of long terms around that so that we could still, you know, have cash flow. Everybody's going to need a house to live in, but you know, if the market turns, not everybody's going to want to go on vacation or can afford to go on vacation. So we kind of, we knew that um, Indiana state was, you know, had a lot of college students. So we figured we would buy close to the, to the uh, um, campus and then we would always have renters and, and we've actually like campus is right downtown. So we have other, you know, people that aren't in, in college that rent off of us. And, and it's nice because, you know, we've got good solid tenants in all of our properties and we don't, and we have a great property manager. That's, you know, one thing for the rookies is if you're investing out of state, make sure you have a great property manager because they can take the brunt of, uh, of that off, you know, of, of that stress off of you. But that was really why it was just because we wanted to, to make sure that we could, you know, have a business that was making money year round. And if you're in the slow season of rentals, you know, you've got, you still have some income coming in from the long-term rentals for sure. Caleb, how are you funding all of these deals? So, you know, from your primary to the the next short-term rental with a partner and now into long-term rentals, is it from your W-2 or are you guys doing loans on it, hard money? Um, a mixture of both. So starting out, we took the money that we were making from the Airbnb and we knew that this probably isn't for everyone, but Josh and I knew that we had good, you know, reserves in our personal account. So if anything came up, we could, you know, we split everything expense wise, 50, 50 on all of, all of our business stuff. So, um, we took the money that we had in that business account and we dumped that into our first quadplex and we knew that it was going to need a little bit of work. I mean, the, the numbers were it, kind of similar to your market, Ashley, where we bought the quadplex for $60,000. You know, we, we put 25 down after closing costs and then we ended up putting about $25,000 into it. And, but we had that money in our, our LLC account because neither of us pull any income from that account because it's just, mm-hmm. it's money that we're trying to continue growing with. Our goal is to, to use that to grow for about the next five years, just to continually pump that money back into the business and then some of our personal money as well. And so that was how we funded the first deal. And then from there, it kind of became, um, a essentially like a, a bigger pockets commercial because we, we burned a property, we pulled money out of a property, you know, we, we did some, uh, some creative financing and, but the, that property, we actually, the quadplex, the initial burr, we actually funded, um, with a conventional loan. And it was, it was a very hard one to close because the agent on the other side didn't think it could close conventionally. And then we found out she kind of had a cash buyer on the reserves. So she wasn't real helpful on the closing. And so luckily like being an agent, I kind of knew that process. And so I was um, being like deployed. Even I was kind of running that with my real estate agent in Indiana. And we were, uh, we finally got it closed, did the rehab on it, got it hundred percent occupied. And then um, I was like, why aren't we burying this? And so, you know, we've got, we've got half of the steps already done. And so we looked into um, commercial financing from a local bank and I had some relationships already built because I'm from there. And so 
I talked to some people that I knew and, um, and we went with a local bank and they, they gave us a decent, it's a five, one arm, but, um, that was already within our exit strategy of, you know, we, of refinancing at that point anyways. So we, we used a five, one arm commercial and it's a 5% interest rate. And we pulled out a, about $40,000 out of that property. And so we ended up leaving about $7,500 total into the property and it's twenty four thirty a month in rent. Wow, that's great. Um, that's not a lot to leave <laughs> into that yeah. property. <laughs> yeah. Caleb, uh, what, can you kind of just explain what is the difference between getting a residential loan and a commercial loan, some of those differences that you noticed when you went through each process, and then what a, a 5-1 arm is for anyone that doesn't know? Yeah, so we using a residential loan is obviously going to be anything from one to four pro, one to four units in a property, and then a commercial is five and above. Or commercial can be on any kind of a cash flowing asset. Um, you can even get a commercial loan on you know a single family if the numbers make sense. But the commercial loan, they're going to look at the property as an asset and not as uh, as necessarily a residential property. So they're going to look at will the amount of rent pay the the debt service on this and 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 when it does then obviously you know the the bank is willing to give you that money and so there there's certain parameters that you know depending on the bank that you use but they'll look at it and and see you know is this is this a solid investment do we want to hold this um because a lot of commercial is held in a portfolio by that bank so they you know they are not selling that loan necessarily so they're going to keep that at their bank so they're like well this is something that we want on our books will this make us money in the long run as well and um, the five one arm going back to that is it's an adjustable rate. So we've got a five year locked in term. And then after that, it's adjusted at the uh, market rate. I think it's the market rate plus like uh, half a percentage on ours, or maybe it's 1%. Um, I didn't, I honestly didn't get too deep into the, uh, the year after that because we plan to refinance it again, you know, in that, within that five years. So um, but yeah, so that's what, that's what that is. It's, it's five years fixed. And then every, the one means, you know, at one year after that. Yeah. Caleb, before we move on, I just want to quickly ask why, why did you guys opt to go with the commercial debt from the beginning, um, as opposed to going with like personal debt? Um, so Josh was moving back from England and I was in the process during all of this in the process of building, um, my forever home or hopefully my forever home. And, so we didn't want the the debt to income uh, ratio to they went, we didn't want our rental properties to affect our own debt to income ratio, and so we put them into our LLC. So um, not only for liability purposes, but just for um, you know DTI purposes as well. We wanted to start to finance everything into the business. This property was financed in my name um, residentially. It was financed into my name only because Josh was in college. And he wasn't collecting um, income from the military because they he was on a sabbatical essentially from the military. And so the deal was we would put it in my name and then refinance out of it or he would pick up the next loan in his name. And so we kind of had a going back and forth. But we had noticed on our first Airbnb, we just put it in both our names. We titled it in both of our names. And we were, you know, that the bank was asking questions like, hey, you know, have this loan and who's Josh? You know, why is he on this loan? And so we just kept we instead of having to explain that every time we, you know, bought and, and, and moved for the military, it was, uh, it was just easier to put them into an LLC and then, uh, to protect us liability wise. And then to also to, to take it off our DTI. 
We know, and you all know, why it's super important that good tenant screening is absolutely critical to your management process. Luckily, RentReady, the comprehensive property management software, has a new feature that makes tenant screening a complete breeze. In addition to TransUnion certified tenant screening, RentReady now offers proof of income verification. So RentReady's automatic tenant proof of income verification ensures an in-depth check of each applicant's financial stability and earnings. With Plaid certified tenant income and asset reports, you can see a potential tenant's income summary and total earnings by month. It's time to say goodbye to that whole gut check tenant screening and feel confident renting out your property with Rent Ready. Now, Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. If you're not a pro, they're offering the six month plan for only $1. Visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like Bigger Pockets, Investor for six months of Rent Ready for only $1. When Bigger Pockets started podcasting, no one thought we needed a store, but then books, so many books, best-selling books, rookie books, partnership books. We needed the best real estate bookstore ever, so we chose Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch stage to the first order stage to the, did we just sell out the whole store stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling real estate books or retro clothing, Shopify's platform helps you sell everywhere, online or in person. Now, speaking of online, did you know Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better than other leading commerce platforms? And no matter how big you grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control of your business. And that's why we chose Shopify for the Bigger Pockets bookstore. So sign up for a $1 per month trial at shopify.com slash bprookie, all lowercase. Again, go to shopify.com slash bprookie now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash bprookie. Whether you need to buy or sell or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find the home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours, even the same day, with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. Caleb, what are some lessons or maybe challenges you had or obstacles that you had getting this property, the fourplex and doing the commercial loan um, that you learned and that has kind of helped you as you moved on to purchase other properties? Uh, I would say that having those systems in place when you when you go into it um, and making sure that you have a, a good agent that kind of understands the investor mindset. Uh, my agent's a, a family member and so she she's not a huge uh, investor. And she didn't, I, I wasn't really good with, you know, telling her what I wanted and what I needed out of a property. And then just kind of being clear with like what I needed from, from her as an agent as well. So I think going into it, um, your agent does appreciate if you're, you know, 
if you are upfront with that, like, hey, this this is our goals, this is what we want to do with this property. Because when she looked at the property, she was like, you know, this place is junk. Like, it's not a good investment. I'm like, it will be twenty five thousand dollars later. It'll be a great investment. And and we kind of knew that going into it that we were going to need to to fix it up. But I think um, the the uh, underestimating rehabs and underestimating the repair costs when you're analyzing a deal. Uh, has really affected the cash flow on this one because it's an old, the house was built in 1805 and it's like a big Victorian oh. house or sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No, 1905. I'm sorry. Um, underestimating rehab costs and then underestimating the, the monthly expenses when it comes to older properties. That was kind of the biggest advice that I have for rookies in these deals because I hadn't seen this deal until we had completely rehabbed it. Um, mm-hmm. I actually didn't see it. The only reason I ever saw it was uh, just because I was in town. I actually was in town for the military in my hometown. Uh, we were flying out of our home, my hometown, and so I went back to to do that. And um, but yeah, other than that, like I, I, it, it was a good deal, and it will be a good deal over the long term. But I think making sure that you have all your systems in place and you have reserves ready because you can really stretch yourself thin if you don't. I just want to share like a personal story because we're actually going through this right now. Um, so I'm, I'm actually leaving to uh, New York on Sunday morning to look at a, a bed and breakfast that we have under contract. And this house to was visit built- To visit me. Really to visit Ashley. That's the only reason why. <laughs> uh, but this house is built in 1922 and it's the oldest house that we've ever purchased. And it's the only house that we purchased in an area that gets like a lot of snow. Um, and those are two things that for people in California, old houses and a lot of snow, like we just don't have that out here. Right. So it was really outside of our comfort zone to, to kind of buy this property, but we see the upside, which is why we're moving forward with it. But what we're also doing is that we already had our, our, our full property inspection done. Uh, we have two contractors meeting us out there while we're there uh, for the visit. And our, our hope is that between those two things, we can get a really good handle on what the potential rehab costs will be before we end up losing our earnest money depositor before we earn, like before we own this property. Um, so just you know, as a tip to to real estate investors, the rookies that are listening, get a property inspection report. Try and get at least like two quotes from a GC, and those will hopefully kind of get you to ballpark your numbers um, as best as you can. But one question for both of you, since you're you're buying houses from the 1800s, um, so this this bed and breakfast that we're that we're looking at, it actually has knob and tube wiring, which I've never, never had to deal with that before, uh, investing or reinvest. Do you got like, if you guys are buying a house with knob and tube, do you leave it in place? Do you completely do new electrical? Like, what does that, what does that look like for you guys? Do you know what the breaker, breaker box is? Is it fuses? Um, I'd have to check the inspection report, but I don't know. Probably this house is built like in the early 1900s. That's what I would start at is see if it has an updated breaker box or not. Good thing I'm coming Monday to see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right, Caleb, what about you, man? Any advice there? Have you dealt with that yet? Knob and tube? No. So um, we deal with a lot of aluminum wiring in the market that I, mm. I sell houses in. And it's mm. difficult to get insurance on. So I, that would be kind of my first advice would be to talk to your insurance agent. Because down here, you can't get insurance on most homes with aluminum wiring with the standard insurance. And if you can, it's about triple what... Um, what a normal insurance, uh, annual insurance policy is. So that would be kind of my first, my first bet would be to do your due diligence on what it's going to cost you, uh, to insure it if you are allowed to have it. And then second would be like really just kind of advice. So there are kind of two things besides, well, there's three things because tenants included, but there are two things that can really destroy a house and that's fire and water, right? 
So these old houses, um, old houses, if the electrical is bad, that's easy to, to catch on fire. And then um, we've already had an issue with our, our quadplex with a pipe busted during the winter um, in an old, an old pipe and then flooded the bottom floor of the property. So that sounds like uh, fun, man. Yeah. So make, <laughs> make sure those two things are up to date and, you know, spend the money while you're doing the remodel just to get it done because in the long run, you're going to, you're going to be better off. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that advice, Caleb. Actually, that's the benefit of being the rookie host is that I get to selfishly take over episodes to ask questions about my, my home deals that I'm working on. Um, cool. So Caleb, are you ready for today's question? Yeah. Hey guys. Uh, I'm Sebastian from Florida. I've got a question about, uh, refinancing on my, on my primary home. I'm currently working on a remodel for a duplex that we just bought. And, um, and thinking about refinancing our current home, which will be a which will be a rental here in the near future. So um, I've heard that if if we get get a lease, you know, a tenant in there, we can, of course, we can refinance it. We might be able to get more more money back since there's a lease in place. Or would it be a better idea to refinance it now, just based on my income alone, which should be fine. Uh, the only fear is rates. I'm kind of wondering if rates are going to be high, any higher next year. So just trying to see if it, you know, what you guys recommend in that case. Again, thank you. Okay. So uh, I think, one, you got to look to see if the numbers make sense at the current rate um, based, on when, based on the rents that you'll be able to get from that property. So look at that. And then if those numbers make sense, then kind of just judge you know, where that interest rate is what you have it currently at and what it's going to be at when you refinance and then think about what you're going to be able to do with that money. Um, yeah. If you're losing a hundred dollars a month because your interest rate ran up, but you're able to take that money and make $700 a month, you know, you're at a 600 net there. So um, it may not look as good on paper when you first look at the the numbers as far as, Oh, I'm about to lose a hundred dollars a month in cash flow if I refinance this, but you'll be able to grow your, your business and grow your portfolio, it's uh, its definitely a positive. I think that if this is currently your primary home, you are going to get the best interest rate since it's your primary. So I would do it now before you turn it into a rental because no matter what the interest rates are now or then, having it as your primary home, you're going to get a better interest rate on it. And then you can leave that mortgage in place or if you do a line of credit or even a home equity loan, you could do on it. And, um, you know, have that on there, even when you put tenants in place, we have a friend that like, I think it was the day before he bought a new house, he went and got a line of credit on his primary that he was turning into a rental basically the next day. Um, so you're definitely at an advantage of having it as your primary. So I would do some type of financing on it now before you turn it into a rental. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, thinking about it, it, historically interest rates are still very low. Um, when you look at, you know, certain times that some of us weren't alive, some of us were, it's, uh, you, you had interest rates in 15, 16%. Um, you know, for, for the average millennial, we haven't seen interest rates at 5% when we were in the, you know, the age to buy a house, right? So this 5%, 6% is kind of a sticker shock to us. But, um, you know, when you talk to, to the boomer generation, it's, it's a completely different, they're like, wow, you guys are so lucky. You know, my first house was 15%. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, just considering that is, is still, we're still at a low. You may, you know, you're still in a good place, even if you refinance at a five, four and a half, five percent. All right, Caleb. So are you ready for our next segment, which is the rookie exam? 
Yeah, let's go. I studied. All right, brother. So they, these these are the three most important questions anyone will ever ask you in your life. So I, I hope that you are prepared, man, because there's a lot riding on you getting these questions right. So question number one, what is one actionable thing rookies should do after listening to this episode? Uh, I definitely would say, I think it's kind of cliche, but um, network, 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 network. Everybody tell everyone what you're doing and what you want to do. Whether that's, hey, I want to buy an off-market property or, hey, I've, I've got a quadplex and I, I want to fix it up. Somebody's going to be able to help you in that. And, you know, you'll be able to to create relationships in the long run. Go to investor meetups, go to, um, you know, go to the bigger pocket forums, ask the questions and just tell everyone. You know, you may end up be pulling a, a private money investor out, you know, tell your uncle, tell everybody. Uh, that's kind of where I would start. And then uh, a secondary to that, I would say focus on the deal. Uh, building a team is important, but you can build an entire team and have no deal. Then there's really, you know, what are you doing at that point? You know, you don't want to waste people's time. Um, you know, kind of get a feeler for the area. If you're investing out of state, kind of get a feeler for, you know, the you know, local contractors, cleaning people if you're if you're planning on doing short terms. But, but make sure that you have a good deal before you, you know, before you just build an entire team around it. Okay. The next question is one tool, software, app, or system in your business that you use. Yeah. So, um, as a investor agent, I use Rentometer all the time and, uh, to be able to help some of my buyers find properties that cash flow and make sense, um, that, and then having some of the calculators, uh, just to be able to run those, those cash flow analysis and run those rental or excuse me, those rehab costs on properties is, is paramount to success. So uh, mainly lately I've been, I've been on Rentometer Pro a lot. It's definitely worth the money. And then uh, using the bigger pocket forums to network and uh, we're kind of in the business or in the process of building our real estate business here in Pensacola and so I use bigger pockets. I'm a bigger pockets premium guy. So I do a lot of uh, networking, a lot of lead generation off of bigger pockets, and I love it. We always love a bigger pockets plug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And speaking of bigger pockets plug, another one we've got the the BP Insights, um, where you can also see um, like potential market rents as well. Like I, I've literally plugged in some of my old long term rentals into that uh, into that tool, and it spat out almost the exact number that I was charging my tenant. So if you are uh, a BP Pro member, that's a great tool for you as well. Um, so last question for you, Caleb: Where do you plan on being in five years? Yeah, so um, I've got a a friend, Aaron Helly. She uh, she kind of challenged me to write my goals down. And uh, I, so I started writing my goals down on a one-year, five-year, and 10-year plan, and then kind of with an overall goal, right? But um, my my five-year plan was to flip a property and add another short-term rental and then scale the uh, scale the rental business to $100,000 annual cash flow, and then also to have about a $15,000 annual cash flow for my personal portfolio. So I'm buying you know, for our business. And then we're also buying, or I'm also buying at least one property a year, um, um, on, on my personal portfolio as well. So we're able to, uh, my goal is to have six, about $60,000 a year in cash flow for myself. And so that's numbers kind of start to make sense at that point. Caleb, quick question. So, you know, you, you have this partnership where it seems like you and, and Josh are doing pretty much everything together. Like, how did you come to the agreement 
that you would still build your own personal portfolio on on the side? And how do you kind of go about deciding which one goes into the partnership and which one you, you keep for yourself? Um, it was, or does just, or, last... or does Josh not know about this? And, and this is going to yeah. be breaking news for him when, <laughs> when he hears it. <laughs> just not going to tell him I'm on the, on the show. Yeah. No. Um, I, Josh is, like I said, Josh, Josh kind of let me run the, run the, the acquisitions. You know, we've, we bought eight doors last year and then I bought a, uh, excuse me, seven doors last year. And then I bought one, um, personal, uh, single family and they were all in Indiana, but, I kind of told Josh that I wanted to at least buy one a year. I, you know, I was just very open with him about my goals, and uh, I picked up a property. We put it under contract actually for the business, and then we needed a little bit of money coming in from both of our our personal accounts because we were stretched on um, a triplex that we bought. And so I said, "Hey, man, I can do this on my own, or we can do it together." I'm, you know, I'm agnostic. And he said, "No, you know what? Just uh, I'm moving back to the states. We're going to buy another house." you know, I'm going to buy my personal house. So just, just do this one on your own. And it's turned out to be a pretty good property. So, um, and that was kind of where I was like, you know, I think I want to still grow my personal portfolio and to be able to get that hundred percent instead of 50% of the cash flow, and, and being able to actually do what I want with that money. Right. Like we have an agreement that we're going to keep that money in the business until, you know, unless we need it for emergencies or something of the sorts, but we're going to keep that money to grow the business. And so having a little bit of personal cash flow is nice as well. And I think that's so important, having those lines of communication and having that goal alignment. Your partner understands what your personal goals are, too, and they're supportive of that. And it wasn't a surprise to them that, oh, wait, what? You're going to buy one without me? <laughs> so, Okay, well, I want to take us to our rookie rock star this week. It is Lindsay B., and you can be our rock star if you want to send us a DM with your win for the week, or you can leave us a message on the Real Estate Rookie Facebook group. So Lindsay just did her very first flip. She purchased it for $85,000, spent $22,000, and she actually used a 0% interest credit card for $15,000 of it. And then she sold it for $178,000. She completed the flip in about 45 days, and she has about $62,000 in profit before taxes after her closing costs, carrying costs, and the rehab on it. So congratulations, Lindsay. That's awesome. Okay. Well, Caleb, thank you so much for joining us today. And um, if you tell everyone where they can reach out to you and find out some more information. <laughs> yeah, so um, I'm starting to use social media a little bit more than I used to. Being in uh, the military, they kind of tell you not to use you know social media as much as possible, but uh, kind of opened my, my socials up. So my Instagram is Drake underscore OH, uh, Draco. It's go play on the, the call sign of the airplane that I fly. But, um, my, and my last name, cause it's Drake. But then, uh, my email, you can find me at caleb.p.drake at gmail.com. And I'm available at both of those, uh, anytime. Okay. You guys hear, heard it here first. Slide into Caleb's DMs and ask him your questions. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us. I'm Ashley at Wealth from Rentals and he's Tony at Tony J. Robinson. If you guys love the podcast, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform and check us out on Real Estate Rookie YouTube. Thank you guys. And we will be back on Saturday with a rookie reply. Yo
The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com slash deals, enter a few details about what and where you want to buy, and boom, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. There's free resources only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.